when our heart gets to the place where we no longer sense a desire to see him, then we're in the wrong place. We need to get our hearts right. All right. Good morning. Now, I was talking to a friend of mine, and he was telling me that when John MacArthur, if anybody who knows him, preached through the book of John, it took him like something like five years. I promise I will not take five years to preach through the book of John. For Sunday school, that's fine. <laughs> All right. Well, we're back in the book of John, obviously, and today's title is You Have No Excuse. Now, a lot of people are like, oh, that's very vague. Well, it's meant to be. You have no excuse. Well, here's some excuses that some people had uh, just to use to just skip church because they felt like skipping church. And here's one of them, and I'll give you the response too. I feel like I need to get right with God before I can come to church. Y'all have heard that one, right? Yeah. Well, guess what? The church is a hospital for sinners, not a country club for saints, so come to church anyway. And you know what else? That's like saying you need to lose a few pounds before you go back to the gym. Doesn't make any sense. How about this one? I'm just not being fed. Well, you know what? That's okay. We're not here to feed you, but to equip you to feed others. How about church is full of hypocrites? Well, you come on, we can add one more. I'm against organized religion. Well, that's perfect. We're very disorganized around here. (laughs) All right. We're back in the Gospel of John today, and it was written between 90 A.D. and 100 A.D. Scholars also believe that John wrote that the three epistles uh, around the same time and the book of Revelation as he did the Gospel of John. All right. John chapter 3, verse 22, and I'll be reading starting out of the New King James Version of the Bible, and it reads... After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he remained with them and baptized. Now John also was baptizing in Anon near Salim, because there was much water there. And they came and were baptized, for John had not yet been thrown into prison. Then there arose a dispute between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. And they came to John, and they said to him, Rabbi... He who was with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing, and all are coming to him. And John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. And what he has seen and heard, that he testifies. And no one receives his testimony. He who has received his testimony has certified that God is true. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God does not give the Spirit by measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. 
He who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Christians have no excuse other than to live in humility, remembering it's all about Jesus and sharing the simple gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today and we come to your word. And Lord, this is the part of the service where we say, God, we we want to know more of you, not just about you. We want to take what we see here and put it into practice. And Lord, as we look around and we see empty pews, Lord, we ask that you would fill them. That you know each and every person whose rear end is supposed to be sitting there. Lord, we ask that you would call them in from the north, the south, the east, and the west. That you would make us the lighthouse to not just our community, but to all of Central Florida, all of Florida, all of the United States, and all over the world. And we thank you for what you're doing and what you're going to do on our behalf. In Jesus' mighty name, the strong Son of God in the church said, Amen. Amen. Again, Christians have no excuse not to live in humility, remembering it's all about Jesus and sharing the simple gospel. First of all, it's all about Jesus. And when I say it, I mean it. I mean everything is all about Jesus. John 3.22 After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he remained with them and baptized. Now John also was baptizing in Anon near Salim, because there was much water there. And they came and were baptized. For John had not yet been thrown into prison. Then there arose a dispute between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing and all are coming to him. You know, after the cleansing of the temple and the night with Nicodemus, Jesus comes into the land of Judea. And while there he's preaching the kingdom. Well, what is the kingdom? Well, that was belief in himself as the only begotten Son of God, the Messiah, which means Savior. His disciples are baptizing. He's not baptizing directly. Let me just make that clear. John 4, 2 tells us that. It says, though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So nearby, John is also baptizing. And what is he baptizing about? Well, John is baptizing the same thing he always baptizes about, and that's for repentance, For the kingdom of God is at hand. Christ Jesus is baptizing for repentance and belief in whom? Himself. So John is baptizing in Anon near Salim because there was much water. That just makes sense, doesn't it? If you're going to baptize some people, you go where there's water. They didn't have a nice faucet they could turn on in a building that's air-conditioned and baptize people. He's still baptizing because... He'd not thrown in, he was not thrown into prison yet, it says, which will come shortly thereafter. So we find John preaching and baptizing, and some of the disciples of John come to him, and they're upset. They're not happy. And they say, Rabbi, which we know means teacher and is a term of honor, but they say Rabbi. Now, you would call the trained priest and the teachers and the rabbis or or the teacher's rabbis. You would not call just some Joe Schmo down the road or some guy in the wilderness eating some bugs and, and dressed in camel's hair, but that's John for you. And they say rabbi, which means, and they're honoring him with that. So there must be something to John. There must be an anointing, an empowerment from God. And they say rabbi. 
Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing and all are coming to him. Now, John's disciples are upset about this. Well, why? Why are they upset? Well, think about it. Because just like Jesus' inner circle, you know, the 12, disciples, the 12 that followed him around, um, you, I guess you could call them Jesus groupies, but they're the 12, and, the, and just like them, they have left families and homes to follow John. So they're mad that more people go to Jesus than to John, but remember, John's ministry was always set to come to an end. John was there to make a straight path, to prepare the way for the Lord. He was not there to take the glory away from our Lord. He was not there to, to say, no, it's all about me. He was there to say, it's all about Jesus. He said, I've already testified to that fact. Isaiah 40, verse 3, there's a, there's a nice little prophecy there about this. And it says, listen, it's the voice of something, someone shouting, clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord. Make a straight highway through the wasteland for our God. Fill in the valleys and level the mountains and hills. Straighten the curves and smooth out the rough places. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together. Then the Lord has spoken. So John is the last of the Old Testament prophets and the greatest of them. But as the new covenant in Christ's blood is coming in, even the least in the kingdom is greater than John, the greatest of the Old Testament prophets. Matthew 11, verse 7 says, As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began talking about him to the crowds. What kind of man did you go into the wilderness to see? Was he a weak reed, swayed by every breath of wind? Or were you expecting to see a man dressed in expensive clothes? No, people with expensive clothes live in palaces. Were you looking for a prophet? Yes, and he is more than a prophet. John is the man to whom the scriptures refer when they say, Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way before you. I tell you the truth, of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. Yet even the least person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he is. And from the time John the Baptist began preaching until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing, and violent people are attacking it. For before John came, all the prophets, all the law of Moses looked forward to this present time. And if you're willing to accept what I say, he is Elijah, the one the prophets said would come. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Luke twenty two nineteen says he took some bread and gave thanks to God and he broke it. And then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, he took another cup of wine and said, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. John couldn't say that. John couldn't say, This is my body. John couldn't say, This is my blood. Because he was not the Christ. But the Christ was there. And John testified of it. And we have this new covenant, this new contract, as it were, in the body and the blood of Christ. What has been imparted to us makes the least of us greater than John the Baptist. What is this that has been imparted to us? Well, for the first thing, forgiveness of sin and cleansing of all unrighteousness. That's the first thing that's been imparted to us. 1 John 1.9 tells us that if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. 
Secondly, as a believer, we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. He lives in us. This is part of the new covenant. The Old Testament prophets never had that. Do you hear me? The Old Testament prophets never had the Holy Spirit living in them. He was with them, but He was not the seal of the new covenant inside the believer. That didn't happen until after Jesus was resurrected. John 14, verse 16, says this, And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive Him because it isn't looking for Him. It doesn't recognize Him. But you know Him because He lives with you, and now and later will be in you. Now, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. What a promise. What a thing that can be said. Where man has been defeated on his own. Where the Holy Spirit may have been with a prophet here and there. Every born-again believer has the Holy Spirit as a down payment for what is to come, living inside of him. That's why the Bible says you have no need that anybody should teach you. Because you should know the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will teach you. Because of this, and this news alone, we have no excuse not to witness to others and fulfill the Great Commission. Because of this, we have zero excuse. Why would we not want to share it? Matthew 28, 19 says, Therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You see, it's a command that we go. And to not go is a sin, because we are commanded to go. Let that sink in for a minute. When's the last time you shared Jesus with an unbeliever? Number two, we're to live in humility and deference to Jesus. Not difference, but deference to Jesus. John 3.27, John replied, No one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. You yourselves know how plainly I told you I am not the Messiah. I am only here to prepare the way for him. It is the bridegroom who marries the bride, and the bridegroom's friend is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore, I am filled with joy at his success. He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. He has come from above and is greater than anyone else. We are of the earth, and we speak of earthly things. But he has come from heaven and is greater than anyone else. He testifies about what he has seen and heard, but how few believe what he tells them. If it's all about Jesus, and there's no room for jealousy amongst believers then eyes, our eyes should be focused on Jesus' success and not our idea of success. Success in a Christian aspect is not how big your church is, how much money you have in the bank, and it's not about what other believers believe about you or even what non-believers believe about you. What does success look like in your personal life, in your personal ministry for Jesus Christ? Real simple. Number one, is the gospel being shared by you and those that are members of this church? Is the gospel being shared by you? 
Number two, are you taking what is being offered spiritually and applying it to your lives? Are you taking what is being offered spiritually and applying it to your life? The scripture. You could tell me all you want that you've been a Christian for 30 or 40 years. I don't care. Are you taking what's being offered, preached, taught, read, and applying it to your life? If the answer is yes, and it's all being done out of sincerity of heart, you're carefully following the biblical principles as found in the Scriptures, then guess what? You're a successful person. You're a successful Christian. You're like John. I say be like John. John lived in humility. He said, I am not the Messiah. I am only to prepare the way for him. He's simply glad to stand next to the bridegroom as he receives his bride. Jesus is the bridegroom and the church is his bride. He says twice that Jesus has come from above and is greater than anyone, whereas he's from the earth. He said that Jesus must become greater and greater, whereas he must become less and less. It is humility that God calls us to walk in when we think of John the Baptist. James chapter 4 verse 5 tells us that too. Do you think that the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate, that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. And he gives grace generously as the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. James 4.10 says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. Proverbs 18.12 tells us, haughtiness goes before destruction, humility precedes honor. And there are many more sections and many more stories and, and, and many more places in Scripture we can find this about humility. It's all throughout. But I'm not going to belabor the point. Needless to say that John is a living example of a man who lives in the state of humility. If John, the greatest of the old covenant prophets, can be so humble before God, what is our excuse when the least of us Christians is greater than he? According to Jesus' own words, what is our excuse? Should we not strive to live in humility before God and sharing Christ with others? Should we not strive for what we said earlier? To live and share in sincerity of heart. Live and share the simple gospel is our last point. Live and share the simple gospel. John 3.32 says, He testifies about what he has seen and heard, but how few believe what he tells them. Anyone who accepts his testimony can affirm that God is true, for he is sent by God. He speaks God's words, for God gives him the Spirit without limit. The Father loves his Son and has put everything into his hands. And anyone who believes in God's Son has eternal life. Anyone who doesn't obey the Son will never experience eternal life, but remains under God's angry judgment. You know, John came up to me earlier and he said, I hope you like your, ice, your water crunchy. He wasn't joking, it's frozen right through the center. It's actually really good. I don't know why I said that, but praise the Lord. Jesus who came down from heaven testifies of all he has seen and heard. 
But did the crowds receive it? All of it? No. Just the few who are being saved. Now this is in comparison with the number of people in the world. Think about it. What are there, 9 billion people in the world? And how many of those are Christian? That's just today. That's not, not, not even throughout the 2,000 years ago. That's just today. That doesn't count what's going to be tomorrow. That's just today. So yes, we are a minority of people. And it seems like our minority gets smaller and smaller every day, but the question is, is were they truly His to begin with? You know, when the church was in vogue, it was all about being a member of that particular church so that you could do business. Frankly, I don't know about you, I'm glad those days are gone. Because that's not what the church is about. John 3.13 says, No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man who is in heaven. And Matthew 7.13 says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. Anyone who accepts Jesus' word knows that God is true. Anyone who accepts Jesus' word knows that God is true. John the Baptist tells his disciples that the first thing he says is he says, Jesus is sent by God the Father. He speaks the Father's words. And, and three, he is given the Spirit of God without limit meaning the power of God without limit. How can you limit him? He is God. John will remind us of these facts later in chapter 12. And uh, let me give you a preview before we get there. John 12, 44. It says that Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And he who sees me sees him who sent me. I have come as a light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. And if anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command what I should say, and what I should speak. And I know that His command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just the Father has told me, so I speak. And when we look at our particular reference, back in chapter 3, verse 35, John now gives his disciples a sim the simple gospel. Did you know the simple gospel was right there? 335, here it is. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. You know, I've got many people who will say, why does God let such bad things happen in the world? That's not God. That's called sin. Because of somebody's sinful choice or sinful action, it has a consequence. And it can hit the just as well as the unjust. Just as God's mercy has, can, can hit the just and the unjust. 
before he makes it to rain on the just and the unjust according to the Scripture. Once we can grasp that, we know that it was God's mercy, God's love, and God's grace that anybody is saved. Ask the angels, those that fell, they didn't get a Savior. We did. How thankful we should be. How thankful we should be. And so it tells us, when we think about it, that Christians have no excuse not to live in the simple gospel, in humility. Remembering that it's not about you. It's about Jesus. It's about sharing the simple gospel. had a man one time tell me a story about another man that we both knew, and I'm not going to name names because they live in Lake County and I don't want you to say anything. I don't want to be mean to him, let's put it that way. One man looked at the other man and he said, I've saved my 700th person. He went, excuse me? I saved my 700th person. I've I've been writing it down ever since I was saved, how many people I've led to the Lord. Or no, he said, how many people I've saved. And he looked at him and he went, doesn't Jesus do the saving? And he went, what do you mean? There's something wrong there. It's Jesus who does the saving. It's not about us. We must become less and less that he becomes greater and greater in people's lives. I don't know why I told, shared that story, but there you go. We have no excuse. We have no excuse. Let me ask you a question. To you, O Christian, in this audience, to you, O Christian, on the internet, when was the last time you shared Jesus? When's the last time you even asked Jesus to send a sinner your way? Or to send somebody who needs some encouraging your way? Jesus, send me someone. And let me know when they get here so I know what to tell them. That can be hard. That can be uncomfortable. As the ladies come. Yeah, it can be hard. Yeah, it can be uncomfortable. Do it anyway. 